Are you ready to get into the Word for a few moments? Amen. Come on, church family, convince all of our guests. Are you ready to get into the Word for a few moments? All right. Today we're starting a, a series that we've been talking about in our church called We Build People. And as I was praying about the focus for this series uh, for our fall quarter kicking off after Labor Day weekend, the truth is there's a lot of things we could talk about. I mean, we could go all year talking about people and circumstances that need encouragement and need built up. But as I looked at the calendar and I saw that this first Sunday of the series was going to fall on 9-11, immediately I knew what we needed to talk about and what we needed to do this morning. So I just began to pray about it and, and think back on the, the realities of September 11th, 2001. It's been 15 years, 15 years since the, the greatest loss of life on American soil by a foreign attack. 15 years since 2,996 people lost their lives that day. And if you're like me, we can remember exactly where we were, exactly what we were doing, and we could all tell the story. I was actually sitting in my living room, drinking coffee with my wife, watching the Today Show as the live feed started coming in Matt Lauer's ear, and he began to fumble through processing the information with a live audience. And we sat there in disbelief and watched as he was trying to rationalize the reports that it was actually a passenger plane that hit that first tower. And while we're watching a live feed, you saw the second plane come into the view. I remember the, the chills we felt and the horror of the reality that this is not an accident. And as we think back on all of those things, I, I have certain things that I remember from September 11th that I'll never forget. And impressions that it made on me that I'll never forget. And some of those impressions are things that I want to make sure my kids know. But the reality is this year, for the first time, we'll have freshmen in high school that are learning about September 11th as a historical event that happened before they were born. So my eighth grade daughter wasn't alive uh, to experience the story and the unfolding and the patriotism and all the things that went along with it. What stood out to me, though, was not just the the massive uh, loss of life, but it was the reality that out of that almost 3,000 people that lost their life that day, not all of those lives were taken. In fact, several of those lives, hundreds of those lives were given. And the images of those first responders running towards danger while everyone who was physically able and had the opportunity instinctively ran away from danger, we saw them running towards it. And then in the days following, digging through the rubble and trying to find any survivors. Not only on that day, but after that day, we saw a surge of military enlistment and re-enlistment of people uh, ready to do something to, to help their country, to, to fight what is now the longest running war in American history, the war on terror. The men and women that are going to serve in that war today were three years old. When the attacks on 9-11 took place. And when I think about all of the amazing demonstration of bravery. The, the sacrifice. The selflessness of our first responders. The image of those first responders making the ultimate sacrifice is powerful. But that image. That image that is in my mind. And is probably in your mind. Reminds me of something on this day 15 years later. It reminds me that it's the same commitment that our first responders today have made 
the same commitment that when the call comes in, they don't take time to evaluate the severity of the danger. They just answer the call. When you're in danger or you're in need of rescue, they don't ask what nationality you are or what race you are or what your political affiliation is. They just answer the call, not knowing what's going to happen on the other side. They're not concerned, thankfully, with what your insurance policy is or whether you're wealthy enough to afford assistance. They just answer the call every single time, these men and women, they answer the call. And they don't do it for glory because usually there isn't much glory to be given. And we know they don't do it for thanks because let's be honest, we don't thank them enough. But that's not the case today. And I want to say thank you again to you first responders. Thank you for answering the call without question, for just showing up and meeting needs and putting others before yourself. Can we just say thank you one more time this morning? Amen. You know, as Christians, we have a moral obligation, like everyone does, but more than a moral obligation, we have a biblical mandate to show thanks and honor to these first responders. And I want to show you several verses of Scripture today, and so we'll put them on the screen If you want to follow along in a Bible, you certainly can. We have some available in the pew backs, but we'll put them here so that you can see them. The first one is in Romans chapter 13 and verse 7, and here's what it says. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. I didn't think I was going to get any amens right there, but I thought I'd pause just for a second just to give you a chance. No IRAs agents in the house today. If revenue, revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now let me just tell you, leave that verse up there for a moment. That is a powerful statement all by itself, even without context. But when you understand the context that that was written in, then it absolutely obliterates any excuse that we would come up with for not honoring those who deserve honor. Because Paul the Apostle wrote this to Jewish Christians who were living in the Roman Empire during the time of Nero. They were under oppression. The, the people, the Jewish people there living in Rome were being uh, just charged these ridiculous alien taxes on top of all the citizens' taxes. And, and they, they were doing it all and they, were, they didn't have any opportunity to, to have any relief from the tax burden that they were facing at that time, not only were they under financial pressure, but in other parts of the Roman Empire, there were Christians, there were Jews who were being openly persecuted, physically persecuted. And it, it's very likely and probable that these Jews living in Rome knew about it, that they were very aware of what was going on. And yet in that setting, a place where people are being persecuted and, and being mistreated, Paul writes these words, give honor He tells them, to whom honor is due. And in the same conversation, just a little bit earlier in the letter, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 7, these words. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now just look for a minute with me 
at how different that looks than what we see today. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. You know, I'm a football fan, and I know many of you are, are aware that football season is in full gear this week. And in fact, I think I even heard a conversation out in the parking lot. One of the guys said, if he goes too long, just pull the horn, pull the siren, and we'll make it to kickoff. That didn't happen. But think about what's going on in the NFL right now. You know, much of the media this past week has not been about uh, football teams and stats. It's been about the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, Colin Kaepernick, you know, saying he's going to kneel down and not stand to honor the national anthem. Thank you so much for standing and honoring the flag this morning. But a lot of the media attention has been about that. And apparently today, as we'll see unfold this afternoon, there's several other athletes that are going to follow his lead. And, and, and as a sign of silent demonstration, they're not going to stand to honor the national anthem and the American flag. And, and the president, while the president has said it's their right as Americans to do so, for some reason that just doesn't seem to be enough to settle the conscience of a lot of us. Well, it is their right, I guess. But why doesn't it settle right? I'll tell you, it might be American to be able to do that. But it's not Christian. And that's where the rub is. That's why it doesn't feel right to see people not standing to honor the flag. I mean, I learned as a small child, two wrongs don't make a right. And the reality is there's a lot of people that would still like to believe we're a Christian nation. And so when we see somebody do something publicly that's unchristian, whether we can call it American or not, it rubs us wrong. But situations like this remind us that the reality is we're living in a post-Christian America. But let me say this, because I'm not up here to be on a soapbox today. If you want to protest something, by all means, you can protest whatever you want. You're free to do so. But I want to go back to the scripture you just looked at. Make sure that you're careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And give honor to whom honor is due. Can I just say this morning, we back the blue because it's biblical. We honor our first responders because it's right. And we stand for the national anthem because we want to give honor to whom honor is due. And something is wrong with the picture when we have the people that get to be called millionaire uh, heroes, the people that get to be called heroes to our kids making millions of dollars and dishonoring those that have served, those that have paid the full measure of devotion, those that have given their all. There's something wrong with that picture. My heroes are right here this morning. And I honor you guys. I honor you for your commitment. And the Bible says that we are to do so. When I think about the sacrifice of these first responders, their willingness to risk it all, I'm not a first responder, and and it begs the question, why? Why would you do that? Why why would you risk it all? Why would you answer a call not knowing what's on the other end of it? And I found the answer in God's word today. In fact, you don't have to look far in the Bible to find the answer to the question of why first responders would do what they do. You can just go to the first book and the first chapter. And it's right there in Genesis chapter 1. And here's what the Bible says in verse 27. So God created mankind... In his own 
image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And from that moment all the way through the 66 books that make up the Bible, we get a picture of what God is like. We get a self-disclosing revelation of who God is, of what his attributes are, what his character is like. And there's no greater picture of what God is like than when you get over into the Gospels, into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the New Testament, and you see the life of Jesus. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 that Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God. So I want to say, when you put somebody else's needs before your own, when you make a sacrifice for somebody else's benefit without showing partiality, without showing favoritism, you are demonstrating the character of the one in whose image you were formed in. He formed you in his image. And that's not just talking about physical anatomy, because he formed them in his image, male and female. Your service is a reflection of your maker. Now, I don't just want to honor the first responders today. I want to elevate them as a role model to the church. Because in many ways, these first responders demonstrate to us what Christ has called us to do and who Christ has called us to be as the people of God. Jesus made it very clear why he came. Here's his mission statement, Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came, to rescue the perishing. The gospel is God's rescue mission. It's why he came. And the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8 that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait. He didn't wait. Until we deserve to be rescued. Because we still don't. In fact, the Bible tells us that. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And in Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned. So all deserve death. But thankfully, God demonstrated his love before we deserved to be rescued. Jesus didn't wait until we could afford our salvation. He didn't wait until we could earn it by our good works or by our good deeds or by putting money in an offering plate. In fact, the Bible says the very opposite is true. In Ephesians 2 and verse 8, the Bible says why we're saved and how we're saved. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Because when it comes to our salvation, you can't save yourself. None of us can. All the training in the world can't prepare you to bear the weight and the burden of your sin at judgment day. You can't save yourself. And so the gospel message is this, that Jesus became one of us. That God put on the uniform called humanity. And he stepped into our story to make a way where we couldn't make a way for ourselves. The Bible says this is what Jesus did in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So here's the offer of the gospel. Jesus rescued us from our own death with his own death. When you accept the gift of salvation, he gives you his righteousness so that you can be justified before God. 
He was perfect. We were not. He was sinless. We were flawed. But when you accept the gift of salvation, He gives you His righteousness so that you can stand before God. And He doesn't just give you His righteousness so that you can stand before God. The Bible says He gives you His Spirit to live on the inside of you so that you can stand right before men. That's the gospel. That He secures your eternity and changes your today. That He works in and through your life. The question that I have for you on this First Responders Sunday is simply, have you been rescued by that rescuer? Have you been found by Him? If you don't have a personal relationship with Christ today, I want to be the one to sound the alarm in your heart. I want to be the one to, to awaken the inner man in you that recognizes there's an emergency here. And the emergency is that I've come to the understanding That like everybody else, I'm a sinner. And God is holy and sin cannot approach God. And so I need a savior. I need somebody to be my mediator between God and man. I need a rescuer. You know, in the natural, I mean, let's be honest. In the natural, when sirens start flashing, lights are flashing, the sirens going off, that can be inconvenient. inconvenient. That can be frustrating. I mean, that can bother people when the thing's going on. They go, oh, man, that thing's loud. Or, man, the truck's coming. Get out of the way. But let me tell you, if you're the person that's calling from the back bedroom and an intruder's in your house, that sound and those flashing lights is the sweetest sound on earth. If you're trapped on the second floor of a burning building and you hear that siren, that's the sound of hope. That's the sound of life. That's the sound of redemption. So listen, I didn't come this morning to make you feel uncomfortable, to try to, you know, sucker you in with a meal and a special service and then make you feel bad. I'm trying to pull the alarm, not to agitate you, but to get you to understand that the first step to us being rescued is realizing we're in trouble. I want to tell you this morning that apathy and complacency are the carbon monoxide of the soul. You just go along like everything's okay. And then you wake up dead. You don't know what happened. I want to tell you, we have a Savior named Jesus who came to our rescue. And to be saved is to first come to the place of understanding, I need a Savior. I need a Deliverer in my own life. As much as he would want to, Jesus will not drag you out of your own will into a relationship with God. But the Bible does say in Jude chapter 23, snatch others from the fire and save them. I got to be honest, if I was a volunteer fireman, I'd probably have Jude 23 on my helmet. Like that's an awesome verse right there. Snatch others from the fire and save them. That, that, would, be, that would be my tattoo if I was brave enough to get one. Reality is, it's a choice. It's a choice that you make, it's a choice that I make. About whether we want to be saved. And I want to challenge you this morning, if you don't know God, to let this be the day. You say, Jesus, would you rescue me? Would you be my redeemer? Would you save me? Save me and be that mediator between God and man. So that when I die, whenever that is, Or when Jesus comes again for his church, whenever it happens, 
so that I will know that my eternity is secure. I'll know where I'm going. Can I just talk to the church for just a minute? Can you just imagine how effective we would be as the people of God if we responded to God's call as quickly and instinctively and without question as these first responders do? I mean, when the call comes in, boom, no questions asked, they go. But it's not that way sometimes for us, right? I mean, God, God prompts our heart to go and talk to somebody, to pray for somebody, to invite somebody to church. God, God talks to us about things, and man, we, we wrestle, we backpedal, we resist. But just think for a moment how powerful the church of Jesus Christ would be if we could come out of this Sunday with a determination to say, God, whenever you call, I'm going to respond. Whatever you ask me to do, God, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. No questions asked, God. You can use me. I read a story this week about Fanny Crosby. She's been uh, called by some the queen of gospel music. Not Aretha Franklin. That's a different kind of gospel. I mean church gospel. And she said that when she wrote songs, oftentimes her inspiration came out of life circumstances. And this was one of those life circumstances that I read about. It was in 1869 that she said these words. She said, like many of my hymns, this one was written following a personal experience at the New York City Bowery Mission. She said, I usually tried to get to the mission at least one night a week to talk to my boys. That's who she called the men that came to the mission. She said, I was addressing a large crowd of workers on one hot summer evening when the thought kept forcing itself into my mind that some mother's boy must be rescued that night or he might enter eternity lost. She goes on to say, so that night I made a pressing plea that if there was a boy who was present who had wandered from his mom's teaching and wandered from his mom's home, that he should come up and let me pray for him at the end of the service. And at the end of the service, a young man, 18 years old, came up to Fanny Crosby. And he said, did you mean me, Miss Crosby? I promised my mother I'd meet her in heaven, but the way I'm living my life right now, it seems impossible. She said, we prayed right then, and suddenly he arose with new light in his eyes. Now, he said, I am ready to meet my mother in heaven, for I have found God. But just a few days before that, a composer had given her music with the title, Rescue the Perishing. And so, based on the text in Luke chapter 14, verse 23, she began to write the words to that song. And here's what she wrote. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, chords that are broken will vibrate once more. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. Strength for thy labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way. Patiently win them 
Tell the poor wanderer that a Savior has died. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Church, we have a mandate to rescue the perishing.